welcome to How Do You Engineer, your engineering podcast that you listen to when you're automobile. I'm a host, Peter Martin. I'm a host, Abby Dejarle. And I'm a host, Simon Whitmel. Uh, and this week we have a guest, Jason D'Souza Coelho. Yeah, I Nailed got the name it. right. Yeah, yeah. that was great. Yep. And uh, he's here to uh, chat with us about working in the automotive industry and uh, just generally mechanical engineering, I guess. Cool. Because we've we've talked about we've talked to a couple of mechanical engineers, but it's cool to see it's an underrepresented jobs. demographic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, we do tend to focus specifically on like robots and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be good to get a more the the kind of mechanical engineering job that mechanical engineers imagine when they imagine being mechanical engineers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would say that's fair. <laughs> the like PN style engineering, not the kind of. No, well, R&D I didn't style. even need a. I wouldn't get a PN. Well, I huh. I can, but I, I would have no use for it there because um. So, like, it was a supplier that I worked for. So, at the end of the day, um, it's up to Mr. Toyota or Mr. Yeah, GM yeah. to sign off on safety of stuff. The cool. guys down yeah. the line, somebody down there has to have the fancy seal. But yeah. 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 Anyway, all right, we'll get to that. Before that, we need to do ridiculous things. We only get to do this like every third week now, since we're only doing it for interviews. I know, I miss yeah. it. It's sad. I actually had the thought that someday we should, if things go well, we should spin this off into a totally different podcast. Just like only talking about ridiculous things? Yeah. We could do that. That sounds like my kind of podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So this week we are going to engineer vending machines, mm-hmm. right? So this is I, I, better, different, better and or different. I think, I think the, the, the goal here, okay, there's two different problems. Either a better way to vend something that is currently vended from a machine. <laughs> <laughs> or, or a way to vend something from a machine which is not currently machine vended. I, I believe the proper, um, uh, oh God. conjugation. Word? Conjugation, yes. Yeah, so I believe the proper conjugation is vendedated. 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 Okay, so, I don't know. I think there's a lot more probability, or a lot more interesting possibilities for things that are not currently vendedated. Are any of your vending machine needs not being met currently? So many of my vending machine needs are not being met currently. Puppies. Oh my god! Actually, no. Okay, it's <laughs> possible. Just like rental. Ow. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should, though. You know. No, but it, it, should, it should, doesn't need to be vending. It needs to be like rental. Like it's just like a little door opens and a puppy comes out, and you get to like pet it for a while, and then it goes back in, and then it goes, like turns around. As long as it's air conditioned, it doesn't have to be a small machine. It could be like the front window of a pet store. And it's just like, if you have like the claw that comes down. <laughs> yes. No, we're not playing the claw game with puppies. No, I, I think, I think it, was, it should be more like the, uh, you know, the ones where you like, you put in money and then they just got a bunch of like sliding doors on the front that open yeah. different cubbies, mm-hmm. but the same thing, but just full of like animals. And you can open one up and just like pet it. What's then- stopping someone from being like, hey, 15 cent puppy? And running. Well, really, I mean, if you... Like, reach your hand up like a real vending machine. (laughs) 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 Well, if the goal goal is to get the animals to be adopted, then is that really a bad thing? It's true. Mission accomplished, actually. Well, maybe. Usually they have to be vetted to, like, adopt an animal, whereas you could just steal it. I know absolutely nothing about animal, like, getting animals. I really like that there's a double entendre there with the term vetted. They have to be vetted. Uh, <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, what okay. else do we want to vend? Um, well, I've actually, I think it's too easy to get stuff out of vending machines. I think you should have to work for it a little bit. What Ooh. do you mean? Ooh, so, you know, it's just that like screwy thing that turns and moves the thing forward. <laughs> yeah. What if it just launched whatever Ooh. it is you were getting you'd and like, you had to go like, find it? You'd like go long. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And with the puppies, I mean, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> that sounds terrible. Yes. No. Okay. Yes. What if you What if you use the puppy as the delivery system? So you order, you pick something out, and then it just like gets attached to a dog's collar, and the dog just runs free. And, and you have to chase it. down yeah. the puppy. For some reason, though, I feel like it should be voice activated, just because it'd be really cool to be able to walk with something and be like, I don't know, like. I can't think of something off the top of my head that's inoffensive. You always make um, fun of me when I was like green office chairs. Yeah. Like, have fun coming with these. Walkman and boom, and like you catch it, it'd be right? Awesome. Yeah, it would be so sweet. I okay. I don't know where we're going. <laughs> like, is this adding things? Can you get there are things that you could get out of a vending machine that was done that way that you couldn't do out of a regular? Vending you want machine? a Walkman out of a vending machine? <laughs> Well, walk why not? It's, I mean, it's Pete's like retro hipster vending machine. Yeah. Okay. And a and a mustache grooming brush and like <laughs> some beard oil. <laughs> yeah. A hipster kit, basically. Yeah, exactly. Is what we're, yeah. But it launches launches them all in different directions. There's like a big side door. You get a fixie out of there. It'd be great. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, okay, but that that sort of thing the, to bring it back to a more realistic. I think the uh, real question is, what can't you vend out of a vending machine? Well, large items okay, are difficult. What should you vend out of a vending machine? <laughs> <Yes>. Ethically, <Yes. laughs> okay. Let's 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 set a better ground for this. Like the place where I feel that vending machines are like the best is in airports mm-hmm. because you're yeah. there, you're stressed out, you just want like this one specific thing, and you don't want to deal with people, you don't want to deal with like I don't know an interaction. You just want to go up to a machine and punch in some numbers and get like all the things that you need. Noise canceling headphones. Yeah, exactly. And there's like, I, and I've seen them before, like you can get like book, like books and yeah. things like that out mm-hmm. of it. There's giant Best Buy ones in the States and the airports. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. awesome. So the question is what else could we put into a vending machine that would make being in an airport less of a horrible, horrible experience? Healthy food. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. okay. So what, what's, what is the, what are you defining as healthy food and Celery. what's the issue? All right. <laughs> Specifically, celery. I want celery right now. Like fruit, vegetables, like hummus. Okay. Maybe like some uh, vegan or gluten-free options. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I can think of the current like the m- way you mostly see that done is those like carousel ones that they spin oh, around yeah. and the doors open. Oh yeah. But those are always like they never I think look appetizing. They look horrible and they're like the sketchiest looking machines. Where so, are those in real life? I've only ever seen those in The Simpsons. I've seen that. I've seen them in hospitals. Oh, wow. yeah. things like places like that. That's the only yeah. place I've really seen them is uh, yeah, hospitals. I which think, is I think giant extrusion plungers have a lot of potential. So they just like you have just purees of various different things and they just extrude them into a generally the shape that's of what how they Taco Bell works. It's true and that's delicious. <laughs> I love you. He's like, we need to, we need to serve healthy food. Who are we going to look to? Taco Bell. <laughs> well, I mean, a, a lot of like that style of food is like hummus and bubble, okay. bubble like, like paste, like, just yeah. like paste extrusion. Well, I mean, like, let's say that you want to have a veggie burger, right? You could just go like, and you get like a, a, a patty and then you bake it and it becomes like more crispy and solidified. It's just like, everything is just soy anyway. Okay. And then you like, I don't know, put some condiments on it and some more like, and then you're good to go. So if we, we, so first of all, we need to find the guy who knows how to do the ketchup expen- dispenser from we need episode, different from episode back. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. So, so we've, we've, we've narrowed in on, Hot food, automated hot food preparation or like fresh food preparation. The, the heating is going to be an issue. Um, in what sense? You need to have some kind of like pizza oven style thing that it moves past that 
cooks it. Well, like I know they're in, mm. I've, I've seen videos in Japan of like, you can get ramen noodles from a machine that yes. like cooks them and like puts oh them into a bowl God. for you. Awesome. Nice. So I mean like they, if they can do that, they must, you must be able to do it with like an oven. You just have to, it would have to be, it would have to have an exhaust or something so yeah. that it wasn't like venting oven <laughs> heat into your room. You just walk by and it's like, oh, there's the, there's the pizza machine. It's like 20 degrees hotter when you're walking by. What um, about airplanes? What if you had like vending machines built into airplanes where you just get all your food from a vending machine? I want, okay, there's, there was this, uh, there's yeah. a restaurant in, I think it's Australia where all of, it's a burger restaurant and all the burgers are delivered by those like vacuum tubes. Oh, where you, like, pre- sweet. You like, you place your order and they go like, thunk, and like a, there's, a, it's a tube with a, it's t- like, usually it's like a burger and another, maybe two burgers and then the bottom of the tube is all full of fries. You just open it up, it's like, <laughs> here's, your, here's your dinner. So I think that would be an awesome, especially because it, it would it would mitigate the issue on the airplanes of like, it's always a pain to get anywhere because they've always got the giant carts going up and mm-hmm. down the middle aisle. I like that. It's like changing the delivery mechanism of vending machine. Like you always have a static output, like outlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the the other side is dynamic. Mm-hmm. And this is, so you just have to, do, it has to be modular. Like the things that go into it have to be, they have to be sort of puck shaped mm-hmm. or like fit into a tube nicely. Is there a way mm-hmm. for you to like abstract away like and have like a meta vending machine where it's like drone delivery or something where you can order any food you want or anything you want and it just basically is delivered using the same mechanism. So you're like, I want a black permanent marker. And it's like, okay, this person has it. It goes there. It gets it. It brings and it's delivered through a vending like machine. But uh-huh. The, the back end of it is like open to new, um, so sources and, I think uh, the issue with that is time. Like I want the black marker. If I'm going to a vending machine, yeah. I want it right now. Yeah. yeah I'm not willing true. to wait 10 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It's unacceptable. <laughs> okay. I, I like and that's true. The vending machine, the, what vending machines do is you go to the machine. Yeah. And the machine has the kind of thing that you want. Yeah. And then it, it like it comes out in immediate time. Yeah. Like even, even just machines that like cook food in real time, I would say like you're watching it go and you're like, ugh, I could have been eating by now. Well, the ones that make coffee or like espresso and stuff like that, they can take like 20 seconds, 30 seconds to make your, your latte or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that might be like the upper limit of how long I'd be yeah. willing to wait for something. I think so. So it's, it's a question of how, how, like, are you think, saying that you want to have a central location? If we're going back to food, you want a central location where food is, pre- is prepped and it's just like shooting up through tubes to wherever you are. Hmm. That's not bad. Cause even then, like I would allow, I would say that that would be better than a lot of like cafeteria experiences I've had. Yeah. It can be sort of like when they do the food delivery for Uber, they have a set menu and they're always just constantly making those five or six items and mm. then they're just getting fed into a distribution system. Right. And you could totally do it with like an outlet to a restaurant. For it's office just, it, buildings, it'd be badass. You have a kitchen in the basement and just every office has their own like little like, little, re- like a replicator beep, 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 beep. basically. Yeah. And it just like thing comes up and it, you could totally <laughs> use those vacuum tubes. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> except for like that would do that would it, have to, it would have to come in like a can or something in order yeah. for it to come off the vacuum tube everything would need to be in a box or something yeah. or else you'd have really dirty tubes <laughs> oh, God. that's what she said <laughs> all right um and we're no longer ex- non-explicit for this week <laughs> see i was thinking about the adult industry but i wasn't going to mention it <laughs> pete Things that Pete wants to buy in an airport. <laughs> oh, this is what downhill really fast. Okay, so let's let's take it back to the base concept. The idea is that you have you improve the way things that your vending machine can serve by centralizing 
the production and or packaging of what you're ordering and then sending it through those like crazy vacuum tube things. Mm-hmm. The vending machine is no longer a closed system. It's an, it's an, it's a single access point at it's a static access- location to a dynamic system that can feed all sorts of different things into it. Yeah. It, it, repl- it replaces the storefront or the cafeteria line or whatever yeah. by allowing you to get all the things you could get in those storefronts or cafeteria lines only sent to you via tube. Yeah. Cause, that- the, because the downside to traditional vending machines is some dude has to show up and stock it. Hmm. It's true. Is that going to like lead to, I don't know, long wait times and stuff if there's just too many options? You wow. mean they, they, they just become way too popular? Like I'm just thinking of people at those fancy like Coca-Cola machines who spend oh, like yeah. 20 minutes picking out what beverage they the want. The options are endless though. Exactly. Yeah. That's the problem. Okay. No, cause what, so what you, all you have to do is you have a smartphone app that you go in and you tie it to your visa or whatever and you go and you're like, I want this and it says, it goes bing and it, like you're, it figures out where you are on GPS. It says, here's the front, the nearest kiosk to that. Go there. And then you walk over and it goes, bing. Now here's number like 286. And you go and you like do a near field communication and it opens up and there's your tube of whatever you ordered. All the vending machines are on the back of autonomous cars. They're just like roaming around and you, <laughs> it's like, it's like Uber for like vending machines. It brings you the vending machine that you asked for. Well, then you're like a food truck. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly like, what I, you are yeah. at that point. Yeah. Right. We're, we're still, we're, I'm moving away from vending machines. No, I think, I, I, well, I, I mean, a food truck is a vending machine that is controlled by a person really. Yeah. Yeah. If, but you're right. If there was a really high quality <laughs> vending machine, I would drive to it. Yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm thinking, I'm thinking specifically in somewhere like an airport where you yeah. just be like, you, you you would have an app for like this particular service and you'd be like it would be run by i don't know amazon or something and you'd just be in the airport and you'd open up amazon's app and be like i want a lobster bisque sure exactly and it, and it would go and and the app would tell you okay go to this location in the map there's a box there and it will a little light will light up and you take out your little vacuum tube container and it'll be full of soup i like it i think we've once again inadvertently stumbled onto an actually good idea I think if you could, if you, if you could put, if you could put the infrastructure there, it could replace all of those like little like bistro or like little like hole in the wall places that are never. We could replace all of the small mom and pop businesses. (laughs) No, but but in in an airport, they're never actually mom and pop businesses. No, never. They're just supposed to look like it and it always feels just a little off. Yeah, for sure. You're like, so I'd, I'd almost rather that it just came out of a, like a slot in the wall. Yeah. Box of lobster bisque. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, tube of lobster bisque. <laughs> yeah, I guess it'd be like a giant pill of lobster bisque. Mm-hmm. It could be a thermos. It'd be good. The tube could be the thermos. Yeah, exactly. Well, it would have to be, really. I yeah. Mean, the container could be the lobster shell. <laughs> I mean, <you> could, just, <laughs> the whole lobster comes down. You crank it open, it's full of soup. And then you That real, would be awesome. Then you realize you're in surrealist play. <laughs> But I mean, it is like basically the, the key is that you limit the options at each vending machine, which is what vending machines normally do. Like you have a vending machine for this type of thing. And then because it's a limited number of things that go into that, you can dynamically feed the back end of it because this is the one that's specifically for vegan food. And so you just have like six or eight or ten items that someone is constantly making and feeding into the vending machine that are... I'm not even sure that's true. I think it would mean as long as you have a back end for making vegan food, it can go to any of the vending machines. And that's the thing. You have you have front end modules that are basically, this is just your customer facing. I see. Okay. And then you have back end, essentially back end modules that are like, okay, I want a vegan food module, which is a guy in a kitchen making vegan food. And I want a like, I don't know, a office supplies module, which is just an auto dispensing thing that puts like pens into tubes yeah. and shoots them up 
And then there you, I want a like, I don't know, terrible paperback novels, things like that. And you could just, you could just basically like plug and play just like in back rooms and each of them has a dispensing location. They're pretty cool. Hmm. And you could, oh, and you could, you could totally crowdsource deciding what you have available at at any given time. If something's not, if something's not producing well enough, you'd be like, no, okay. There's more demand for vegan food or more demand for like, I don't know, a taco Rita. Within the bounds of the categories, like you can't be like, well, now we need to build the infrastructure to be able to like, I don't know. No, it would be like these, these are the modules that exist. Which ones should we supply at this particular airport? That's cool. Yeah, because then it's regionally specific. Then it's like if you're in like I don't El Paso. Know, yeah, El Paso, you're going to not probably not need a whole lot of sushi. So there's like – I'm broadly generalizing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I think that would be really cool. I think it would be a huge amount of uh, of infrastructure. But next time they build an airport from the ground up, they should totally do that. Mm-hmm. What yeah. about people that don't have smartphones or don't understand apps – or don't no, they? They're they can't, dying. They off. can't have stuff. No. They okay. It'll be it'll be natural selection for yeah. those kinds of people. They'll starve to death in airports, and, <laughs> <laughs> and Darwin will win. Yeah. <laughs> Along with people who use blackberries. <laughs> <laughs> Best phone ever. <laughs> Good segue. So our guest who owns a blackberry. <laughs> Greatest phone I've ever owned. <laughs> Is it one of the crazy ones that's like the wrong aspect ratio? Like yeah, the it's the passport uh, with the square screen. Oh, I t- love it. Every time I look at it, it's just like <laughs> that. It looks like somebody took a phone and then like stretched it to twice as wide as it's <laughs> yep. supposed to be. Pretty much. I, I can see where they're going with that, but it, yeah, the, the industrial design behind it always makes me shake my head. It's I not bad. Know. I mean, it basically looks like you took a laptop, flattened it down, like opened it all the way and then just shrunk it. Yeah. I suppose so. I suppose it doesn't look any more ridiculous than like the really old Blackberries did when they were like a dinner plate. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. I mean, they had the, the excuse then that it was like 1998 and they had to be that size. Yeah. All right. We've, we've digressed in a whole, in a whole <laughs> new direction. Um, so yeah, let's get back to, let's back to you, Jason. So as is our normal, um, I don't know. Modus operandi. Operandus. Modi operandus? I don't know. Anyway, mm-hmm. as we normally do. We segue badly. That's what we normally do. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that is exactly what we normally do. Um, yeah, let's talk, let's start with the past. Let's reach back into the mists of time. How, how did you become an engineer? Uh, so that's a funny story. Um, my <laughs> girlfriend at, in high school, uh, filled out my university application. Nice. And that is how I selected engineering. <laughs> Um, if I'm being perfectly honest. That's amazing. So, um, wow. J- Jason became an engineer for girls or for a girl in particular. <laughs> First person yeah, ever. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I, I didn't really care very much at the time and I had good grades. So she thought engineering was suitable. Okay. And so what you did was you, you hired a private consultant <laughs> to, yes. to assess your personality and traits and your, um, yeah, and basically pick a career that suit was well suited to you and what you were that is actually a very nice way of putting it i'm going to use that from now on so (laughs) i had a personal consultant (laughs) who determined based on my particular traits that i was well suited for engineering all right um yeah so i always liked cars and so that's kind of what drew me to mechanical um and i ended up in automotive as a result of that Mm mm-hmm so I have a question, question really quick. I've always wondered mm-hmm. if you legitimately want to get into cars, like let's say you're, 
You Super open the Nintendo. door and then you <laughs> get into I want to get Damn into cars. <laughs> and thus started my career in crime. <laughs> All right. So, um, yes. But like, let's say that you, like, that's your passion is like sketching cars, looking at cars, mm-hmm. watching car shows, stuff like that. Is going into mechanical engineering a, like a legitimate path to that end? Or is it better to go to like a community college and something and go into being more like of a hands on mechanic style specialist? Or like, what is it actually? Well, valid trajectory. It, it's actually funny you say that because again, at the previous company I worked at, um, a, a fair number of people didn't actually have university degrees. Um, a lot of them were, uh, what's the term? Engineering technologists. I mm. guess is what the, what they get from uh, college. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. technician and technologist depending on yeah. whether it's a two or three year program. Right. Yeah. And so a, a lot of them were doing that. Um, and they ended up doing more or less the same thing as the guys that or girls that had, uh, engineering degrees. Mind you, I think that that was specific to that particular company just because management was not engineers there. They, yeah. they were all college grads. And in one case, the dude didn't even finish high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they didn't frown upon college degrees. Yeah. Cool. I mean, it's the same in software engineering as well. Yeah. It, yeah. Ultimately, it's, it's what you're capable of. Like, yeah. and uh, I know, you know, helping buddies out hiring and stuff. A lot of the time it was higher attitude because you can train skills. Right. Mm. So. But yeah, ultimately it depends on what you really want to do. I mean, a lot of people think, uh, going into automotive industry engineering means you're designing cars. And a lot of time that's not an engineer that's designing, you know, the body of a car. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's like an industrial designer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, mechanical engineering is definitely the path. I mean, most OEMs, they go to, um, you know, the FSA team at universities. So they make a little, Formula know, race Formula car. SAE, yeah. yeah, Formula SAE. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what it is. So yeah, they, they basically recruit from those teams. Um, and most of those guys or girls are mechanical engineers. Okay, cool. Right? So sorry, OEM? Original Toyota, manufacturer? Yeah. So Toyota, GM, mm. those guys. Okay. Basically. Um, yeah, cause uh, especially after, what was it? 2008, they laid off a lot of, uh, engineers. And since then it's picked up mm. a lot. Um, but most of the people that got laid off don't didn't want to come back Mm. so they've been aggressively recruiting from these university teams Hmm. oh wow is that what you did too like you did you make no um i i was on ryerson's team one year um no it was uft sorry it was uft's team one year and after that not really um yeah just i don't know i wasn't very much into um extracurricular activities or going to class really <laughs> um so it yeah spending time at school didn't really happen so you um, uh you, you mentioned in passing that you were at multiple universities yes so i think part of the reason why that particular consultant um <laughs> selected engineering so she's she wanted to go to ubc ubc was on my application and i got in she didn't but it was an awesome opportunity, so I went. Okay, cool. Um, and <laughs> FYI, Vancouver is an awesome place. But yeah, after a year of that, I wanted to try out uh, electrical engineering because uh, I, I learned to program at a really young age, and I always liked programming. Mm. So I thought, this is probably better for me. Mm-hmm. U of T has the best electrical program, so I went there for a second year, and I absolutely hated it. It was <laughs> terrible. Um <laughs> I learned a lot. The stuff I learned was, was super useful, but then that particular year, I don't know if you guys remember the double cohort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was the double cohort year. Yeah, me too. Um, so in that particular year that I got there, they've kind of rejigging their ECE program. Mm-hmm. So essentially 
You wouldn't know um, whether or not you're getting an electrical or computer engineering degree until um, it, it was based on what courses you picked in third and fourth year. Hmm. So, and I, I'm actually really appreciative that that happened because it forced me to look at what courses I would be doing in mm. third and fourth year as an electrical engineer. Mm. And I was like, this is, I don't want anything to do with this stuff. <laughs> um, and so I, I wanted to go back into Mac. Mm. Um, and so I ended up at Ryerson and that's where I finished my undergrad. Nice. Cool. In so Mac. So your first year, your first year at UBC was Mac. And yep. then you went into electrical for second year yep. and then back into Mac for yep. the rest nice. of the program. Exactly. How do you engineer? Crapping on electrical engineering since 2015. <laughs> no. yeah. I have, I have a lot of respect for electrical no, I know. engineers. It's just, it's just an ongoing joke because yeah. we tend to end up with electrical engineers who either don't do electrical engineering anymore or yeah. like, totally lost interest in it. Yeah. Mm. Ab- Abby went through an electrical engineering program. Yep. <laughs> and now develops apps. There we go. <laughs> yes. So it's, uh, no, it's it's just interesting because it's it's not something that you see a lot in terms of people like a lot of people I know we we talk about this a little bit in in previous interviews that engineers tend to sign on for things and then they see them through to the end whether they want to or not yeah um whether it's a pro like a project or going through like people a lot of people I know who went through like. And just saw it at U of T. And oh, they, got God, the, yeah. they, they got to the end and they're like, I hated everything yeah. about it by the end, but it was like, nope, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very much not that person. Well, and that's, <laughs> um, it's, that's really interesting because yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's not something you see a lot in, in engineering. And it's maybe something that we should be, uh, as engineers should be better at is sort yeah. of stepping back and be like, hmm, maybe we need to like go back to square one and take a different path. All yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's rough, right? Because I'll, it set me back a couple of years, mm-hmm. right, to to finish just an undergrad. I mean, technically, it took me seven years to to finish an undergrad. Yeah, well, so they don't exactly make it easy to jump programs. No, they don't. Yeah. And uh, that's why I had to go to Ryerson because because I was a double cohort year, Mech was overcrowded already. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a choice. Ryerson takes everybody, so <laughs> I went to Ryerson. <laughs> um, Let's avoiding no, the like libel. Yes. Yeah, no, I, don't get me wrong. I, I think it was great. Like, yeah, and that I was. Mean, I also thing, went to a tiny program, so yeah. 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 I mean, that was one thing that I got from being at three different schools for engineering was it's all the same, man. At mm. the end of the day, yeah, for sure. Um, it doesn't matter what school you went to. I mean, if I'm being perfectly honest, uh, in terms of like design, a lot of the people, like I, I, I worked with people from other schools for a capstone project, okay. and they were completely incapable of designing. Mm. Um, and that was because that, that particular school doesn't focus on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually interesting because I found that you're right. The diff, the major differences in talking to people about the programs they went through versus the program I went through have been fundamentally in design. Right. When you get to the design courses and the design um, approach that the universities take to how they teach that course or that series of courses and how they um, move people through that process of getting to what ultimately is their capstone project. It's right. totally different for every yep. university. Mm-hmm. Very different. And I think uh, especially if you don't have an industrial sponsor, I think you're missing out. Because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm my capstone, it, it was super successful, but in terms of actual design, like drafting and, and you know, bringing something to market, we, we didn't, didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, in hindsight, that's something that I could see you only really get from working with an industrial sponsor because mm-hmm. yeah. they, they know what they want, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or with a, like a, a program that's set up specifically to do that with somewhere like, like Waterloo where they're doing yeah. that. What they do is make capstone projects that turn into companies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah. I mean, even those, I mean, not how many of those are actually yeah. like mechanical design companies. Oh, yeah, for sure. Most of them are 
are tech companies. Most right? of them are tech startups. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I get why they don't really emphasize it that much because mm-hmm. I mean, most mechanical engineers I know don't do design. Like they, they can't make a drawing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And also it's less sexy to be like, I'm have a startup company to make bearings. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not yeah. sexy at all, but if you could do that, oh yeah. man, you'd be rolling in the money. Let me yeah. tell you. <laughs> rolling bearings. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's stay on uh, on that on the topic of design. Then, so is that what you got into doing in in the automotive industry? Was yeah, there... so um, I was in R and D right from the get go. Like I w- I was actually really lucky to to have the position that I was in. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really R and D there was really small, so I pretty much had to do everything. Like I I had people to help me teach or mm-hmm. help teach me things, and and that's honestly the vast majority of what I use. Mm-hmm. Um. I think like the skills you picked up working with people yeah, who are already in the industry. Exactly. Like most of the stuff I learned in school, I didn't really apply. Um, not to say school is not important. I guess school is good at, at giving you kind of a baseline mm-hmm. and kind of, um, encouraging, not abstract thought, but what do you call it? There's a word for it. Um, um constructive. No, that's not it. Like the ability, the ability to then like build on what you've, what you've learned yeah. with new experiences and get better at oh, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is mm-hmm. a better word for that. I'm but, sure there is, but, um, we won't, we won't dwell point. on it now. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, it, it gives you the foundation that you can use to then pick up new skills exactly. from, from real world situations. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it was, so I, I mean, I learned about drafting, design, um, testing, uh, there was some programming and doing, yeah, analysis like FEAs and CFD and, Okay, you're gonna have to like. Oh, sorry, finite element analysis. (laughs) Okay. So like to be able to predict uh, the stress in a part Mm -hmm. based on applying a certain load. Okay. Um. So that was yeah. There was a lot of doing that. Um. Because most people couldn't do it, and Mm. I don't know. I I always pick up skills pretty quick, Mm. especially when a computer is involved. So that was a, like a specifically, a specifically applied to, or a skill that specifically applied to that kind of manufacturing, like parts manufacturing and that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like here, I, I can only see one example of, of using that because we don't have like heavily stressed parts or, mm-hmm. or anything like that. Or mm-hmm. in like automotive, it's, you basically, you design the part so that it's at the limit. You know, you're, you're using as much the material and everything as efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, in automotive, you, you're trying to save nickels and dimes. Hmm. Um, that's every a, little thing surprising. counts. Well, I, I can, I can see that, but it's not something that you really like think of when you first think of like the parts going into a car. You're not yeah. imagining like trying to shave off like little bits of material to like push the material to the limit, but I guess you would be. Yeah. Cause it, it's in, it's very high volume, right? Yeah. It's, you're talking of millions of units a year. And if you can save a penny mm-hmm. on those units, a million pennies is. It adds up. And yeah. everything is very price driven too. Like it's yes. the, it's one of the most expensive things anyone will ever buy. So if you can undercut yeah. by a couple hundred bucks, that's a huge bonus for your company where if you're looking at the, basically the same automobile from another vehicle, from another manufacturer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, I guess you also, it's so cutthroat because like you look at the, the new, the imports now, the super like really subcompact cars that they're all around like 10k. And mm-hmm. once somebody came up with a ten thousand dollar subcompact, everyone else had to cut the price of their yeah. subcompact to the same price. And it's only going to get worse as yeah. the Chinese industry builds. Like it's just going to get more cheaper and cheaper for them to make mass produce quality vehicles. Yeah, right? mm. yeah, you got to keep up. Yeah, so I can yeah. see. Yeah, I can see it being a very, a very, very a, a lot of outside stressors on the industry that way. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the only 
thing that will cause anything in that industry to change is government regulation mm. because they're always set up to run as lean as possible and, you know, as profitable. So mm-hmm. they won't change if, unless somebody says you have to change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or unless somebody comes along and just completely disrupts the whatever yeah. technology. And that they'll do using. whatever they can to prevent that from happening. Like yeah. what happened with Tesla is, is a prime example. You know, they, they knew that Tesla was a threat. So they, you know, put their money and lawyers, um, <laughs> into action to, yeah. to prevent them from, uh, doing stuff like that. And historically that's happened numerous times. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've definitely tried to shut down anybody that's tried to start, um, an automotive company. Yeah. Um, they'll do whatever they can. Like, so it, is that, is that something you saw working in? Because you're, 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 the company you worked for made parts, but not yeah. like your, your involvement in the automotive industry sort of stopped once the parts left the building. Like they were bought by, then bought by, OEMs to put yeah. into their vehicles. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, basically once I was done with it, it would go to, uh, the applications department mm-hmm. and they would, you know, customize it a little bit here and there for Mr. Toyota or Mr. Honda or mm-hmm. whoever. But did you see, um, so you saw that same sort of like reticence to make any changes even at that level, like the designing parts? Oh, level? making changes once it's been bought. Uh, it's, it is a very, very difficult thing. Like the whole process just to, it's called PPAP. Um, don't ask me what it stands for. I, I cannot remember. <laughs> we'll, we'll look it up and put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that process is several years. Like, okay. uh, so if, if you bought a car today, uh, model, it would be model year 2016. I think it's still on 16s, yeah. So the technology you see on that, even on the most expensive one is five years old. Wow. Cause it takes that long to, mm-hmm. to validate yeah. new things. Parts procurement and production. Oh uh, man. There you go. I just made that up. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it sounds legit though. If you hadn't said that, uh, I would have totally believed you and not bothered to look it up and then someone go. would have to write in and be like, Pete made that up. Yep. Yeah. But or, it, or no one Everything would write is in. very, very strictly regulated. Like hmm. there's processes for everything and, um, hey. once you, you know, Honda buys something, hmm. if you try to make a change, um, the only way they're going to say that's okay is if, the part was failing if there was yeah. like a warranty it's preventing thing. a recall or something yeah, yeah that or if they're going to save money hmm. um that <laughs> literally is the only two things that they'll accept um, so new, new, new technology has to be cheaper or else it never gets off the ground that and unfortunately that's the case like, wow. there there are technologies out there that could you know bring fuel efficiency you know, or make fuel cars very fuel efficient but because it costs too much for them to do, they won't buy it. Mm. Yeah, because you right. got to get buy in. They've got to be able to see as the the, the auto manufacturers have to yeah. be able to see a, a gain in their margins to exactly. make it worth that step. So yeah. each of them have basically it's um I guess a cost per CO two or cost cost per you know percent fuel efficiency that right. they're willing to pay for, hmm. and that's based on the government regulations. Right. Because now, well, I think for a couple of years now, um. If their entire fleet average is over a certain limit, they pay a penalty on every car they produce. Hmm. Um, wow. So company like Lamborghini or Ferrari, they bake that fine into the cost of the car. Because right. you're not going to buy a Ferrari because it's fuel efficient. Because it's not. <laughs> right? yeah. so, I, I would like a hybrid Ferrari. They, well, they have hybrid yeah. cars. Okay, yes, so, but yeah. they're not, they're not, do, they're doing it for torque. They're not doing it yeah. for, uh, for fuel efficiency. They're yeah, doing it exactly. for, yeah, for. They're, you're not, you're not, you're exactly. not going to get the Lamborghini Leaf. No. <laughs> no, I, I don't it's, think It's the V8, not the V12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's cool. I, I, I never really thought about that. I mean, like, it, it wouldn't matter where you were in the industry. That'd be, it'd be so driven, like that you're, you're dealing 
everything deals with that juggernaut of the of the whole market and yeah. you're never going to be able to like disruptive technologies are not nearly as disruptive in that in that market as they would yeah. be in like the tech market yeah cuz you you're not allowed to it, they won't allow it hmm. is basically what it is right oh, that's um, crazy cuz mm-hmm. there's only a, a finite number of players and um, and and then and those players keep buying each other out, so there's even smaller numbers exactly. of players. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, what's it like designing parts for that industry versus other like other mechanical design disciplines? I guess is the wrong word, but um, like, is there? Is if, there I, any, if, I, you, if I sit down with my CAD software, how how, how is it different being an automotive working yeah. in automotive versus? Or if like, you're going to make a part, like I'm going to make a a bracket mm-hmm. and it's for a car. How is that different from making a bracket for? I don't know, a bicycle. Um, just the, the durability requirements and it just, uh, there's, there's always a set number of tests or specific tests that every part basically, um, has to uh, pass. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of that's based on what's called the drive cycle. Um, so basically, usually that's driven by the government. Um, so there's like the EPA drive cycle that they use to check for emissions, check for emissions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what we were doing was coming up with our own drive cycle so that we were kind of have a little bit of safety margin. Mm-hmm. So essentially what you're doing is you're looking at how people drive their car, what their loads are, the speed, um, operating temperatures, ambient temperatures, uh, stuff like that. And coming up with, um, I guess, uh, averages. Yeah. Like yeah. averages and, and load cases. So mm-hmm. you would say, you know, a percentage of life of the car is at this load. And you would have to design a test so that that part survives, hmm. um, all of that. Plus there's environmental stuff like salt spray and, yeah. mm-hmm. um, all kinds of weird things that just to kind of simulate, mm-hmm. um, somebody spraying their car or, or washing their car or, you know, driving through salty road and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one thing that you think about with the auto industry is that your car in terms of like hours of use compared to a lot of other devices that yeah. you have. Your car has to be a lot more functional. Like your phone after yeah. two years is basically garbage. Yeah. If your, if your car degraded at the speed that your phone does in terms yeah. of the technology, you would like, you would never buy a car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my brain, what I basically just did was draw a line between Ikea, where if you go to the store and they have the like fake butt that like sits inside the chairs over oh, and over yeah. again, <laughs> yeah. there's that, then there's automotive and then there's airplanes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah where airplanes like, last for like 40 years. Well, and they've got to have crazy safety margins because yeah. they're yeah. airplanes. They and I mean, obviously, around. they're also maintained like almost daily. Yeah. yeah, you don't take your car to the garage daily. Yeah, you yeah. Can't, you almost almost have to assume that someone's going to do like the least possible work at yeah. maintaining. Like that it is, it is pretty shocking that like I've had my car seven years and it was bought brand new, and I've basically had like maybe three mechanical failures. Yeah. No, it's, you have the, and that's probably a function of like just the sheer amount of testing and the sheer amount of yeah. preparation has to go into it. No. Yeah. It's Jason personally. Specifically. Yeah. The, uh, the reason wow. your car is still on the road. It's yeah. Jason. <laughs> go me. Go me. But yeah, the, they generally, from what I've seen is they want, nowadays they want a car to last 10 years. Hmm. Um, so every part that you design has to be able to survive an accelerated test that simulates 10 years of operation and hmm. the standard parts like not not like the brake pads or like stuff. yeah, 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 th- yeah. those are consumables yeah, yeah. that's different hmm. um but the, yeah the parts that you're not regularly replacing are things that don't have a normal lifespan but yeah. those parts like let's say like i know that at some point they there's a lot of talk about how for light bulbs for instance before compact fluorescence light bulbs 
had built in end of life. Like basically if you bought an incandescent light bulb, you mm. were like the manufacturer was basically guaranteeing you'd have to replace it right. within a certain amount of time. And it was possible at that point to make incandescent light bulbs that would never break. Right. They just didn't because then they had no business. Mm-hmm. Right. Is there, are there consumables in current vehicles that could be way longer life that they just don't build in because they need to have replacements? They need to pay, um, need to get the monies. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I mean, w- one thing that I know I've encountered is, so yeah, we have this, you have this 10 year, uh, that 10 years that the thing wants or needs to um, survive, but you could very easily design something to live forever, but it costs, there's yeah. a cost associated with doing that. So, I mean, I don't know if it was, it's a joke, but, um, the saying was, uh, ideally at the end of life, you want the part to disintegrate mm. because that way, yeah. you know, you've, you've only put enough material <laughs> into it yeah. or, or enough whatever into it for it to survive what it's supposed to. If you're, if you're any more lasts, and you've spent too much money. Yeah. yeah. If your car lasts 11 years, then you could have made it for cheaper. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, it, then, and that's exactly the mentality, right? Mm. Because it's, it's mm-hmm. very cost conscious. That's nice though. Cause it, it has a, an honesty that I wasn't expecting where like you always yeah. imagine there's a nefarious thing where it's like our warranties are seven years. Mm-hmm. These like these parts should not last more than seven years. This clutch should yeah. die after seven years, one month and three days. Like right. um it's nice to know that they're designing for way longer than most warranties to have. Yeah. That, which is cool. And it, it, it's because of um a, per- a perception um like perceived yeah. durability or perceived reliability. Toyota is a great example of that. Um I'm pretty sure there are more Toyotas on the road than anything else right now. And a big part of that is because a lot of their older vehicles are still on the road. What's mm-hmm. the, what's the Toyota pickup that they did the whole episode Hilux on? Or yeah. Yeah. The one that they dropped, they, they ended up having on top of a building that they then destructed and then yeah. pulled it out of the rubble and it still was. Like I think it's in, the, in England, I think it's the Hilux and then in other parts of the world, it's like a Tundra or something like that. I don't right. remember what it's like. Yeah. Their old pickup truck yeah. specifically was yeah. supposed to be basically indestructible. But it's at the end of the day, it's all a perception thing, right? Because uh, buying a car is a very emotional purchase. Hmm. Um, yeah. if it wasn't, everybody would buy a subcompact, the, or whatever is exactly, the least the amount of money. Exactly, thing they need. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. right? But that's, I mean, if you look at car commercials and all that stuff, it's all emotion. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's all just trying to, to get you to feel something. Imagine how it'll feel having this car. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Hmm. exactly. It has, it never has anything to do with, you know, the actual performance of it. I mean, how attractive often... Attractive men, attractive women, explosions, jet planes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, right? And it, that's the way they get you. Yeah. Um, and somewhere somewhere inside that thing that they're selling emotionally is the one part that, that makes it good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that key part that's been designed, but nobody ever thinks about it because it's just down inside. Underneath the engine yeah. where you can't see it. Exactly. <laughs> um, and it, it's just easier that way, right? Because to to explain to the general consumer what all these parts do and, and, and all that stuff, it, it's a losing battle. You're not, you're not, yeah. you're not going to sell like, someone being like, our car has the best water pump. Yeah. Like you won't even believe how good the water pump is. This <laughs> exactly. In this car. No, nobody is going to care. <laughs> nobody. <That'd be> amazing. <laughs> that actually might possibly, like, can you imagine if like Volkswagen came out? They're just like, we've designed this vehicle with a 17 year lifetime on the starter motor. <laughs> this is the most revolutionary starter motor that has ever been put in a vehicle. Just that one particular feature. Yeah. So they just keep going through the list. Yeah. <laughs> Every year they come yeah. up with a new, the new part. Bracket C47 that holds this <laughs> particular, like, cross member onto the chassis has been overdesigned. Exactly. And, and nobody would care, unfortunately, yeah, right? Yeah. It, it would not be. Yeah. The, 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 ironically, as you say, you're, you're working the automotive engineering. The engineering, despite the fact that 
our cars are feats of engineering. The actual engineering is not what people are interested yeah. in. Yeah, no. But uh, there, but it is interesting that there's like this valiant attention to detail that goes unnoticed. Like I remember, um, my only insight into the automotive industry was that when I was finishing high school, I worked at an assembly part, like assembly plant, mm. um, that made power windows. And there, every now and then somebody would screw up and they're, they do QAQC, like quality control, and they'd mm-hmm. find a part that was missing a piece or a piece was installed backwards or upside down. And they'd literally have to tear apart the entire shipment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like basically all the work that had been done that entire day yeah. right. to check every single part and make sure there weren't other ones that had also been done badly. Cause if somebody screwed up once, they could have screwed up it twice. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And they had like crazy tolerances. They had to basically it was all hands on deck because if that left or they missed the shipment because it wasn't finished being inspected, they lost like $4 million. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause it's just in time. Um, production or something mm, yeah. is how they go, right? They they don't ever stock more than they need. It's rolling off the line and immediately getting put into a car. Precisely, yeah. 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 Um, and that, again, that's why unlike a lot of castings and stuff, that you'll see date codes and stuff for that same yeah. reason. So if they find one that's bad, they they know which batch to, Weirdly to enough, dig up. Same with organic food. Hmm. Um, I have a friend who works at a brewery and it's the same. Like if your brewery has an organic beer, you have to have every single bottle tracked. So if right. something goes wrong, they know exactly where it came from, when it, when batch it was from and when exactly. it came out. And yeah. Really? Yeah. So car parts and organic beer. Yep. These, these, what are, in the these are the things you need to check the date codes <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so let's, let's go looking forward. You're, you, you've, you've had experiences in mechanical engineering. You're mm-hmm. off in, in new, di- in new directions with your career. What are, what, what excites you about, uh, continuing to do mechanical engineering? What part of your job do you love and are you looking forward to doing the most? Um, here, actually, uh, the teaching of what I know to, to the rest of my group. Okay, cool. Uh, that's a big part of it. Cause, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, at first, to be perfectly honest, it, it was a very big ego shot or shot to my ego here because at my previous company, I was an expert. You know, when, when shit hit the fan, um, everybody you were the guy would, that knew the things. Yeah. I, I was the guy that people would come to, mm-hmm. to, to fix the problem. Um, whereas at the company I'm at now, um, everybody is a lot smarter than I am. And it, <laughs> at first it, it, it was a little intimidating, but, um, at the end of the day, that's what I want. Uh, mm-hmm. because that's how I learn. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, being able to pass on what I've learned to uh, my group that I'm sure they're going to have questions that are going to challenge, I guess, my, my own personal knowledge of mm-hmm. it. Um, so I'm, I'm actually looking forward to that because here I actually get a little bit more time to build some of the tools that I didn't have time to before. Right. Um, and already some of those tools are helping out, uh, a lot. Um, well, that's great. It's, it, it's, it's something we, we discussed in, uh, a couple of our previous episodes. It's, it's something we had, as engineers should be more excited about is the idea of helping other people be better engineers, yeah. helping other people like rise to our level. And, uh, whether it's, whether it's, what's that? That sounds so funny. <laughs> rise to my level. <laughs> okay, well, I, I suppose that, yeah, that sounds very egotistical. More to the point of, like, fostering growth yes. am- amongst all engineers, new engineers. It's um, like a motivational poster with, like, Simon standing at the top of a hill. Rise, rise to my level. Me. Helping people <laughs> up the sides of the mountain. Just, like, giving people a hand up onto the mountain. Before Simon has been to mountaintop. <laughs> I'm the guru sitting on the mountaintop. No, I, no, it's... It, yeah. it, the, the, we know 
you're saying. Yeah. The good message yeah, yeah. there is that, uh, that, that it should be everyone in the group doing that for everyone else. Yeah. And that brings everyone yeah. to a better place. Exactly. Everyone should be mentoring the next generation of, of their discipline. Well, and even the current generation. Yeah. Yeah. People, people around them, like don't. Yeah. All the generations. Everybody. Spread yes. the knowledges. Yes. Yep. Help. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't want to come with that. <laughs> help. Help. <laughs> just, just help. Okay. I think that's good. Um, shall we, uh, we, we, we don't, we don't have a sponsor anymore. We don't, we don't have, have a sponsor, sponsor anymore. Week. So instead we'll just have a fun fact. It's time to so I have been watching a whole bunch of Joy of Painting on Netflix. Good call. I'm going to interrupt you for one second. Is okay. this going to be a fun fact and not a fun entomological? I have gotten complaints source? about etymology, <laughs> the etymology <laughs> facts. So no, this is not a. This is a fun fact about Bob Ross. And yes, I will go back and do some real time follow up. And it's not entomological; it's etymological. Etymological. Entomological. Entomological is I'm confused. Facts. Now. I don't know what it is anymore. Sweet. We, we've, we've we've had complaints that too many of my fun facts involve. The, the the sources of words mm. the etymology of words so no this is about bob ross and i was reading bob ross's uh biography and he is a ridiculously interesting person because he's the guy who does the joy of painting mm-hmm. but he spent most of his career in the military and he was a master sergeant at the time that he retired and i guess part of his job when he was a in the military was to yell at people a lot like the kind of he's just the kind of guy who just yells at you if you're not doing yeah. your job well enough and so when he retired from the military, he swore that he was never going to scream again. And you can see that come through, like when he does his painting show, and he's like very soft spoken and very happy yeah. all the time. I love he's it. So, so, but it's hard to imagine that that guy was like the scary master sergeant yelling at you to like clean the toilet at yeah. some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like that trying to imagine that. It's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So he was in the military, and he vowed he was never going to scream again. That's hmm. so sweet. That was a fun fact. Yay! <laughs> as, opposed to the, as opposed to the dying and nitrogen fact. Yes. <laughs> Ooh. Not so fun fact. You have to go go back and that was that was the space episode. Yeah. With uh, with Cam. Mm-hmm. Go back and listen to it and listen to how much fun that fact is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Perfect. Now we've we've messed up our flow by not having other things though. It's all right. Not that we had great flow normally. Usually this is exactly how this turns into low flow. Yeah. Low, low flow. flow. <laughs> Those are the worst shower heads. <laughs> <laughs> we need a valve on this. Where's podcast. this going? <laughs> I don't know. All, all right. right. Thank you, Jason, for <laughs> yeah, joining us. It was yeah. a pleasure. Um, we so have we... social media things and things and stuff. Yes. Yeah. And the first one there's for me to say is <laughs> how do you dot engineer our website it's a nice website i built it myself and uh it also has a link to our email address which is feedback at how do you dot engineer yeah mm-hmm. which um, also goes to me <laughs> yeah um and then if you want to talk to pete on our socials uh you can use facebook and twitter at how do you eng or you can check out uh, our subreddit at slash r slash how do you eng you can listen to us on geek life radio on mondays at 6 p.m eastern time it no. occurs to me that nope. <laughs> no, 7 p.m. Eastern time, 6 p.m. Central time. It occurs to me that we should really be doing this in like in like Zulu time or something. If we have <laughs> listeners that are not, so it's negative negative five. So it's gonna be uh what like midnight Zulu. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember <laughs> Greenwich Mean Time when um, the sun crosses above <laughs> the parallax. There, there is a well in Alexandria. <laughs> when the sun shines all the way down to the bottom of the well, 
then you will be able to listen to us on Geek Life Radio. <laughs> oh, that's All right. Cold. Um, yes. And if you want, if you guys want to help us out now that we don't have a sponsor, you can go on, uh, iTunes and give us a rating or, um, a good rating. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you have bad ratings, keep it to yourself. If you give us a bad rating, then yeah. We're sad. Yeah. Well, it'll just make us cry. And also on Google Play. Yes. That's equally a thing. Okay. All right. Thanks again, Jason. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me. It was fun. Coming and listening to us ramble like crazy people again. Yeah. <laughs> Go team. <laughs>